pray together. God, we are so grateful, so full of gratitude to you for all that you have done for us. Everything that you've done to make this day possible. Everything that you've done to put eternity into our hearts. And God, these are difficult days. You continue to show us your love. You continue to lift up our spirits in the midst of the darkness. And God, we need a word from you. And as we open the word of God in these next moments, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, there are those here, those watching on the live stream, those watching on demand, God, who they don't know you yet. They don't have salvation. Their sins haven't been forgiven. God, I pray that this Easter could be the time for them, that your Holy Spirit would work to convince them of these truths. God, there are others who are discouraged, beaten down. They need encouragement. God, there's some among us, we've been rebellious. We've been holding on to sin. We need to repent. God, all of us need to be taught. We all need to hear something from you today that's just going to move us a little further along in our journey. So God, speak right now. We invite you to work in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit in this room and in all the rooms where your word is being heard right now. And these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our risen Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So, so amazing to be with you uh, today and to be able to share uh, this time together. And we are going to get into uh, God's Word here. And I want to start by saying something with all due respect to the introverts in the crowd Uh, But with all due respect to introverts, heaven, which is our destination as Christians, heaven is about being together. Heaven is about being uh, together. It's about personal presence. And I don't know if you've thought much about it, but the great tragedy of this pandemic of the last 13 months, the great tragedy is not the disease itself. The great tragedy is not the economic impact uh, that's happening. The great the great tragedy of this pandemic is that we have been robbed of each other. You see, the, the, the vaccine is going to take care of the disease, and economic recovery will come. It always does. We just need to give it some time. But the relational impacts, the social implications of the last 13 months, these are matters of soul and spirit. And we've all been deeply affected. And I, and I believe this, we've been deeply affected in ways that we don't even fully realize yet. So you think about the Word of God from the opening chapter right through to the very last words that are spoken in the Scripture. From beginning to end, the Word of God is about, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this in terms of its theme before, but the Word of God is about the presence, the presence of God. It's about God with us. That's a phrase that we hear in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament. It's about God with us. It's about us with God, and it's about us being together with God. The longing that every human being has in their hearts for something outside of themselves to help make this all make sense 
Everyone has that. And it's met in part by our human relationship. It's met in part through friendship and through marriage and through having children and through being in a family. It's met in part by these things, but it can never be fully satisfied by any of these human relationships. Because we are hardwired as human beings to be in the presence of God. And if you're a believer, you already know this. Because in the midst of hard days, where our mind and our spirit drifts to is, this is going to be so much better when I'm with the Lord. You long to be with Christ. And the great news is this, not only do you long to be with Christ, but He longs for you to be with Him. And He made a way for that to happen. That's what we remember on Good Friday, on Easter, the way that God made for us to be in relationship with Him. And so here's what we want to see in this message. As a Christian, I long to be in the presence of Christ as He longs for me to be in His presence. And if you're not yet a Christian, listen in. Hear the Word of God. And my prayer for you this morning, before we even got here today, I was praying for you that if you're watching on the live stream or on demand and you don't know the Lord yet, or if you're here in the room and you don't know the Lord yet, my prayer is that Easter 2021, you become a follower of Jesus Christ when you find life in Him, and you get ushered into His presence. As a Christian, I long to be in the presence of Christ as He longs for me to be in His presence. This was, in fact, the intention, let's walk through this now, the intention from the very beginning. We know that in Genesis 3, before sin entered into the world, that God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's the relationship that God had with humanity. He walked in the garden with them. He had conversations with them. He hung out with them. It was a face-to-face, tell me that we don't all fully understand this now, a face-to-face, unobstructed relationship. But then after sin entered the picture, that was erased, and the couple was banished from the garden, and from that intimate, close relationship with God, the relationship, in fact, was severed. It was many, many years later before anyone had anything close to what Adam and Eve had experienced. You have to go all the way to Moses, and and from the time of Moses till now, no one's really had this kind of experience with God. This is what it said about Moses, Exodus 33, 11, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Listen to this as a man speaks to his friend. I mean, it's just a, it was a sit down and catch up with one another. What's been going on in your life? What's been going on in your life? Just a face-to-face, two friends talking relationship between Moses and God. And the thing is that, that, that that's God's intention for every one of us. So as remarkable as it is to think about Moses having that or Adam and Eve having that and losing it, listen, that's the thing that God wants for everyone. That we would be at the place with God where we can just have this this close, intimate, friend-talking-to-friend relationship with our God. But the disruption of that relationship came when Eve first and then Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One, One prohibited tree. 
Everything else in the garden was free for the taking. Everything else they could enjoy, God put one prohibition in place, just not this tree. And they rebelled against him. They rebelled against the God who had had given them everything, had given us everything. And what flooded in was guilt for having done it and shame at having done it. And for the first time ever, they were experiencing fear. Specifically, the fear of God seeing them. So much so that Genesis 3, 8 records that the man and his wife hid themselves, notice, from the presence of the Lord God. The presence of God was disrupted. They hid themselves. We've been doing that ever since. We hide ourselves from God. What they got started, we've now made the pattern of our lives. And of all the awesome and incredible things that were part of the original creation, the thing that is most devastating of all the losses is the loss of the presence of God. From this point on, for all humanity, life would be disrupted. And the consequence of that disruption is this. The prophet Isaiah records these words, Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. See, again, like we're designed for relationship. Human relationships, and we're designed for this divine relationship. But it's been severed, disrupted. And that separation has consequences that are both temporal. In other words, these are consequences we're facing now, but then also some eternal consequences that we're going to face later. In the temporal sense, life without God on earth means that every human being has a a little bit of sense inside of them that they're incomplete, that something isn't quite right. And people express that in a lot of different ways. But in essence, what it means is that we spend a lifetime as human beings struggling and striving to find meaning, to find purpose in life, to have hope. We struggle and strive throughout our lives to be loved, to know who we are. And in fact, those core struggles that every human being has, those deficiencies that we have in us as human beings are often the very things that once we start thinking about them, Those are the things that cause us to go on this journey to find out if God's the answer. Leading a person to investigating the Lord and to read the Word of God and then to be drawn to Him. But I'll admit this. There are some people who sort these things out. It would appear they sort these things out without God. You who are believers in the room, have unbelievers in your lives, whether you work with them or they're friends or neighbors or family members. And some of them are people who are making their way through life in a way that they give the appearance that they don't need God. They live their lives in a a way that is, we would describe it, they're successful, they're happy, and they're well-adjusted. There was a book written many years ago called The Happy Pagan. 
And it referred to those who don't need God, but who seem to be very successful. And they live a full life, and everything seems to go their way. And, 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 and at the end of their life, they have a nice funeral, and everybody walks away going, he was a wonderful man, she was a wonderful woman. And that's the thing. You can make your way through life in the temporal sense without God and be successful and be happy and be well-adjusted. But the funeral is not the period at the end of the sentence because there's a day of reckoning afterward. The consequences of a life lived without Jesus Christ is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from the presence of God. I don't, I don't much like the doctrine of hell. I'm not comfortable with it. I, I would prefer not to think about it at all. I would prefer to not have to preach it. But the inevitable end, the consequence for those who reject the message of the gospel, no matter how happy they are, no matter how successful they may be, no matter how well-adjusted, the consequence, the inevitable end is eternal separation from God. And listen, I, I would just have to say something to those who are not yet believers. That if you're listening to this right now, whether you acknowledge God or not, I want you to understand that everything good in your life right now is the result of God's blessing in your life. Everything good that you have is a gracious gift from Him, even if you don't acknowledge that. Because God has chosen to make it so for you. But if you take away His gracious gifts, if you take away His presence, then all you are left with is isolation, darkness, torment, hell. The absence of the presence of God for all eternity. Now, that would be devastating if it were the end of the story. If it were not for the intervention of God to provide a way out of that dilemma, a way of salvation. The prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, and in the nativity narrative, we see this angel who comes to Joseph, who is the, the child's earthly father, the angel says to Joseph, when the child is born, this is from Matthew 1.23, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God restored. To recap where we are so far in the message as we're sweeping through the entirety of Scriptures, you think about it, we were with God, we lost it, and now he's intervening to get it back. So that child, the God-man, Jesus Christ, he grew up among us. He's like us in every way except one. Never sinned. So he alone is qualified to be the Savior of the world. And people flocked to him and he healed them. 
He taught them. His teaching was such that it astounded people. They were drawn to him. He loved them and he showed them the way. And though the people didn't realize it at the time, what they had when Jesus was there 2,000 years ago for us in the first century as Jesus was on earth as the God-man walking around Samaria and Judea and into Jerusalem and teaching people and spending those years, what they had was what Moses had. They didn't realize it. But they were talking to God face to face as one man talks to his friend. God was restoring what had been lost. And it was amazing for them for those three plus years. But then came the setback. Something happened that no one could have foreseen. It made no sense. It defied all logic. At the apex of Jesus' popularity, just as he was getting his message out more widely, he entered the city where the message could be heard where it could be believed. People could respond to it. People could take up the mission. People could take it from Jerusalem to the rest of Israel and to Egypt and to Antioch and to Caesarea and on boats and cross the Mediterranean to all parts of the Roman Empire. On Palm Sunday, everything seemed to be going well. The crowds were lauding him as their king. The disciples who had followed him all those years, seeing the city the way it was, they were ecstatic. This is what they were hoping for. Their dreams were coming true. It was the fulfillment of all of their desires. The true king of Israel would be reestablished on the throne. The kingdom of Israel would be reestablished. The Romans would be tossed out. But in mere days, it would all unravel. And after a night of agonizing prayer, Jesus would be arrested in the garden. And every one of his followers, all those who had pledged their devotion to him, would be scattered. And they would hide themselves in fear. In the hours that followed, he would be tried multiple times. He would be shunted between the religious leaders and the Roman governor and the puppet king, Herod. In the end, he was led away to be stripped and beaten and crucified. And after all was fulfilled as he hung on the cross, we read in Luke 23, 46, he breathed his last. He died there on the cross just six hours after being nailed to it. So quick was his death that it, it shocked Pontius Pilate. Crucifixion was designed to last for hours and hours, days and days. It was designed to be torturous. To have a victim die within six hours was unprecedented. His body was released to one of the few religious leaders who believed. That man, showing compassion, Joseph of Arimathea, laid the body in his own tomb. From the vantage point of anyone who had followed Jesus and believed in him, anyone who had been in his presence those three years, it was over. This wasn't just a setback. This was the end, a tragic end. 
somehow through those three years, they had missed hearing the things that Jesus had said about his entrance into Jerusalem. What would happen? They had missed that he had actually said that he would have to be delivered over to the religious leaders, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise again. Somehow they didn't hear the very explicit explanation of how the plan would go. Their crushing sorrow gripped them on Friday night. I imagine it was a sleepless night. All through that dark Saturday Sabbath and into Sunday morning. And then, the victory. Only the women were courageous enough to go to the tomb that morning. Maybe it was because the officials considered them to be no threat at all. They came to anoint Jesus' body. But when the women got there, the stone was already rolled aside. When they looked in, they saw that the body was gone. They made their way back to the disciples and told them that the body was gone. Peter and John immediately booked it to the tomb. When they got there, they looked in, puzzled, wondering what had happened, and made their way back to the house. John's gospel tells us that only Mary Magdalene stayed behind, weeping. At one point, through her tears, she decided to look back in the tomb, perhaps still not quite believing that the body had been taken. She looked and she saw that it was empty, except that now there were two angels in there, two men as she saw them. And they asked her the question, why are you weeping? And then she turned around and she saw Jesus, though she didn't know it was him. They had a short conversation And then she realized who it was when he said her name, Mary. Jesus charged her, go back, go back to my brothers and sisters and tell them. Tell them I'm alive. Mary went back to the house and she said simply, I have seen the Lord. He had died on that cross. He was buried in that tomb. And he rose to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He conquered sin and death. He gained victory over the curse of sin that laid upon us. And while they had thought that their Savior had been taken from them, his presence would now, in fact, be with them forever. In that conversation with Mary, he mentioned to her that he would eventually ascend to the Father, that he would go to be with the Lord, but that he would nevertheless still be with them. The provision he made was to send the Holy Spirit to indwell each believer, and in fact, to indwell the gathered church. He gave his disciples their commission, their mission in this world Make disciples of all nations. That's the mission that's still on our shoulders today. And then he added to that in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, here it is again, I am with you. Presence. Because that's the one thing that we must have is the presence of God. 
Now, this point is of particular relevance to us. It's all relevant to us, but everything we've talked about so far has happened in the past. It's finished. But this is where we live. We live in the midst of the provision. This is the in the meantime portion of the message. Jesus gave his followers this mission. We can state it in various ways. To be saved, to come to a knowledge of the Savior, to have our sins forgiven, to be called to be a follower of Christ. We can say it in different ways, but it certainly can be stated this way. It's to point people to the possibility of God's presence, to have Jesus in their lives. That's the mission, and he, he tags onto the mission this assurance that he's with them. And he's talking to his disciples right now, and he's, they know he's leaving them, but he says, I'm going to send you another one. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the day of Pentecost, and a message we're going to look at in more detail next week. So the motivation for the mission is the presence of God, and the end goal of the mission is the presence of God. This was his provision for us, and this is what we enjoy now from the Lord as we await the restoration on the last day. This is what we've been waiting for. This, this is what we're longing for in our lives. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Revelation 21.3. This, this is what it's all about. Theologians talk about the center of the Bible or the central theme of the Word of God or the unifying theme or message from beginning to end of the Scriptures. God dwelling with His people. The Bible is not, as some would, would, some would suppose, just a collection of random religious stories. It's one book with one theme, one story, beginning to end. God dwelling with His people. This is what we're waiting for. This is the restoration that stirs our spirit, that encourages us in dark times. If ever there was a word for when we're going through trials, when we've, when we've endured what we've endured for the last 13 months and for however many more months are in front of us, to go to Revelation 21 and, and hear these words, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now listen to this. Because we've all wept tears this year. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That restoration of the presence of God is for any and all who would have faith in Him. That's the invitation. The re restorative work of Jesus Christ means the, the banishment of, from God has ended. It means that our sins are forgiven and the curse reversed because He took our sins upon Himself on the cross. 
the restorative work of Christ grants access, relationship, presence, the ability to sit down and talk with God as a man talks to his friend. We should long to be in the presence of Christ as he longs for us to be in his presence.